Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. They have no faith in a God that really means anything. And they've become atheists in their practice. Like Ahaz, their religion is on the outside, but on the inside, they really don't have faith in a miracle-working God. I know that some of you don't believe that the earth was created in six days. And anytime I say that, you say, that is so foolish, Pastor. You need to go and get educated. But you know what? My God is big enough to speak it into existence. I'm sorry if yours isn't. We hear the stories in the Bible, from Earth's creation to the virgin birth, and those are integral to the Christian faith. But a lot of people only accept part of those truths, refusing to accept that those events could have happened that way. As Pastor David explains just how widespread those beliefs are, we'll see the similarity to those who denied Jesus during his life on Earth. We can't explain many things in the Bible with human understanding, which is why faith and trust is vital in relationship with God. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message entitled, What Difference Does a Virgin Make? Second Chronicles chapter 28, verse 20, that Tiglath-Pileser, the king of Assyria, came to him, came to Ahaz, and distressed him and did not assist him. On top of that, then, Assyria never helped Ahaz defeat his enemy. As a matter of fact, King Ahaz ended up paying protection money to Assyria to be able to protect his nation from the Assyrian soldiers. Not against the northern kingdom and and, uh, Syria, but against the Assyrian soldiers. Look, I'll pay you. Just don't don't come against me. Maybe I'll give you arms and I'll I'll send training. Whatever, you know, we'll, we'll do all these things. Just don't come against us. Pretty soon. Judah, the southern kingdom, just became a a vassal state of of Assyria. But before Ahaz sealed his whole bargain with Assyria, God wanted to offer him one more chance, wanted to offer him another option. Before you make that deal with Assyria, God came to him by way of the prophet Isaiah and spoke to him this way in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 7. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now and meet Ahaz, you and Shir Jeshub, your son, and at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, uh, for the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria and the son of Remaliah, 
because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you. Now, let me stop right here to make sure you understand. God is coming and said, don't be afraid of these guys. Don't be afraid of that northern kingdom and of Syria. You know, you're so fearful with them, you're getting ready to make this wicked alliance with us, Syria. He says, don't be afraid of these. These guys are just two little smoking firebrands. Don't worry about these guys at all. They, they plotted evil against you. Verse 6 says, they, they say, let us go up against Judah and trouble it and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is resin. And with, within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramalia, son. And if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. He goes on to say, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or, or in the height above. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Isaiah told Ahaz that, that first of all, this invasion of the northern kingdom and of Syria, that, that's never really going to happen. They're, they're not going to be able to fulfill what, they, what they're threatening to do. And as a matter of fact, the, the two leaders of those two countries, they died within the, the next two years. Both of them were assassinated. The second thing that God wanted Ahaz to know, he wanted to, to give Ahaz assurance that, that he would do just as he promised. And he tells Ahaz, why don't you just go ahead and ask yourself uh, from the Lord your God, ask for a sign. Ask it either in the depths or in the heights above. Can you imagine being given that opportunity God coming to you and saying, Look, I want you to know I'm going to fulfill my promise to you. So you just ask me any sign, any sign, and I'll, I'll do it for you. you. You don't believe that I can take care of the enemy for you? You just ask anything you want. Remember, Gideon was, was bold enough. Gideon said, well, here's a, here's a piece of lamb's wool. Why don't you make it, uh, I don't know, make it dry and everything else wet? And, and God did that. And Gideon said, well, that's okay. Now make it wet and everything else dry. And God did that too. You see, God's not afraid to show himself strong on our behalf. And God desires for us to depend upon him totally and wholly and completely. And he desires that we would be a people who in the, the midst of the distresses and the conflicts and the problems and the situations that every one of us come under, that we would lean wholly and completely on him, trusting him to the very end of things and putting him literally to the test. I know that you are God. I know that you're a great God, and I depend so wholly and completely on you. God says, you just ask me for a sign. Just don't make that contract with Assyria. But Ahaz turns God down. And he gives this pious kind of excuse. Oh, no, I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to put the Lord to the test. But you know what? Ahaz cared nothing about the Lord. Ahaz cared nothing about Jehovah. Again, he just tells, in essence, tells Isaiah and his God to go take a hike. I've got this covered. I don't need you, Isaiah, and I don't need your God. 
Ahaz didn't really believe that Isaiah's God could do anything. And he just wasn't interested at all. He's just like the atheist who, who says he doesn't believe in God, and yet he continues to curse God. I always think that's funny. I don't believe in God, and I think God ought to get out of our business, and look what God did over here, and, but I don't believe that there's a God. Well, there's something wrong with that equation there. The only difference here is that Ahaz has the trappings of being religious. Remember, he, he worshiped many gods. But as far as that God of Israel, Ahaz doesn't believe. He is a practical atheist. You know that there are a lot of people going to church today who proclaim that they are Christians who are actually practical atheists. Because they may profess with their mouth that God is and that he can do stuff. But in their actual actions, they're showing that they don't believe. So professing Christians but practicing atheists, gang, that, that doesn't fit in God's kingdom. And that's exactly where Ahaz was. And so the Lord responds. Look at verse 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you now weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. This is Isaiah speaking. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both of her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. We look at that and say, ah, oh, the virgin... She'll be with child. She's going to give birth. That, that's, that's the prophecy of Jesus. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But do you know that it's a double-hilled prophecy? There is the closer hill. There was a fulfillment during that time of a child that was born to Isaiah's son. And then yet later on, this came to, to be the birth of Christ himself. The fulfillment was more completely in Christ. Say you don't need a sign? Well, I'm going to give you one anyway. A virgin is going to be with child. I'll give birth, she will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Ahaz just turned away. He, he ignored God. He didn't believe the prophecy. He refused to accept the proclamation that, that a virgin would be with child. And you know what? There's people today, even today, that still profess themselves as Christians that don't believe in the virgin birth. There's many under the guise of the church, very religious people, that they simply turn away from the miracle of the virgin birth. A poll was taken back, I think it was in 2004. They asked 7,441 Protestant clergy Okay, that's non-Catholic preachers for those of you, you know, yeah. non-Catholic preachers uh, and ministers, whether or not they believed in the virgin birth. You think, well, that's a no-brainer. But you know that of those that were interviewed, they found the following percentages of the ministers in the following denominations did not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. 
We had a discussion about Lutherans today. American Lutherans, 19% do not believe. They're the best one out of the bunch, by the way. American Baptists, not all Baptists, just American Baptists. That's not the nationality, that's the denomination. American Baptists, 34% do not believe in the virgin birth. Episcopalians, 44%. Presbyterians, and I, I know because my son is uh, in a branch of Presbyterian, he's the PCA, Presbyterian Church of America, they don't fit this. This is more than likely the PCUSA, the Presbyterian Church, United States of America. Very liberal. 49% of their ministers do not believe in the virgin birth. I know my son does. As a matter of fact, it just drives him nuts. Methodist, 60% of their ministers do not believe in the virgin birth. Now that in itself, that, that'd be pretty shocking but, but again, with all the surveys that have been taken over the years, it's indicated that upwards to 25% of preachers and theologians, that's in your seminaries, in your churches, in your Bible uh, colleges, 25% preachers and theologians in the United States don't believe in the virgin birth. I mean... That just doesn't make sense. I don't get that at all. How you could say that you are a, a Christian, Bible-believing minister, teacher, theologian, whatever it is, and reject such a, such a central doctrine of the Bible. And I believe the answer is very simple. They, they say that they believe in God, but they don't really believe in a God who matters. They have no faith in a God that really means anything. And they've become atheists in their practice. Like Ahaz, their religion is on the outside, but on the inside, they really don't have faith in a miracle-working God. I know that some of you don't believe that the earth was created in six days, and anytime I say that, you say, that is so foolish, Pastor, you need to go and get educated. But you know what? My God is big enough to speak it into existence. I'm sorry if yours isn't. But mine is. Now, if it was just the prophecy of Isaiah here speaking about the virgin birth, well, I could understand, well, no, that, that means the, the, the one that was born after this time, and that's what they're speaking about there. But the problem is, is that prophecy is spoken again in various and assorted ways. We read in Matthew. In Matthew, uh, it tells us that, that Jesus' birth to Mary took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through his prophet. Behold, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Essentially, these preachers, these professors, these ministers, and yes, even church attenders that reject the virgin birth, they're saying, well, Matthew got it wrong. Matthew lied? Matthew made up a story? They're also calling Luke a liar because 
he, he tells the same story. Now, he doesn't reference Isaiah 7, but Luke does tell us that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, how had this virgin become pregnant? The angel Gabriel had spoken to her earlier on. He says, there are, or later, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. You see, in the, in the, in the dialogue that we find in Luke's Gospel, virgin means virgin, not just young maiden. Because a lot of people say, well, you know, that word can also be taken as young maiden. Okay, it can. But when Mary says, hey, <laughs> I've never known a man. How can this be? Well, she is saying, I'm a virgin. I've never had relations. How in the world is this going to happen? And so Gabriel comes and he explains that to her. It's going to be a supernatural event. It's going to be a God thing that's going to happen in your life that cannot be explained by any other natural means. Matthew agrees with that in, in his gospel. Gabriel tells Joseph, he says, don't be afraid to take Mary home with you as your wife because that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Beloved, there's, there's no way of, of getting around the fact that both of these gospel accounts are saying that Mary was not just an unmarried young woman. Fact is, she was a virgin. She had never known a man. And so if these gospels are so clear about Mary being a virgin, why would these preachers and these theologians and so many believers, even within our churches today, say that they are Christian and yet they deny such an obvious New Testament teaching? Well, it's because they don't believe it. When it comes to the virgin birth, they say, I can't believe that whatever, that, that's impossible. How, you know, that's absolutely impossible. How could that, how could that even begin to happen? You see, they're, they're using the logic of man to figure out the supernatural work of God. They can't believe it. And so it couldn't have possibly have happened. It's unreasonable. It's unfathomable. It never happened. God just couldn't do something like that. Well, if they can't imagine it, if they can't figure it out on their own understanding, they say that they serve God, but you know what? Theirs isn't a God that ever does anything really amazing. They don't serve a God with a capital G. They serve a God with a little g. And he is a very little God, incapable of doing the supernatural. It's, there's a story about a, a theology professor, one who did know God and trusted and believed in God. And as he taught through the years, as his students graduated, every once in a while they would be invited to come back to the seminary and, and preach for one of the uh, meetings that they would have. And this, this professor, whenever one of his students would come back, he would always go and hear his student teach. Just, just one time, I, I just want to hear what they're doing now. Just want to hear from them. So 
one of them had returned after 12 years of being in the ministry, came back to preach in, in chapel. And at the close of the meeting, the old professor came up to his former student. He kind of cocked his head and extended his hand to the guy, and he said, you, you understand that if you come back again, I, I'm not going to come hear you preach. I only do that once. But I wanted to let you know that I'm glad that you are a big godder. He said, when my boys come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders. And then I know what kind of ministry they're going to have. Some people live their whole lives worshiping a little god, and they always have trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't protect his Bible from errors. He doesn't intervene on the behalf of people. They have a little god and I call them little godders. Then there are those that have a great God. This God speaks and it's done. This God commands and it stands fast. This God knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. He says, you have a great God and he will bless your ministry. Those religious leaders and I'm thinking primarily in our country because I see our country just swirling downward continually. But those religious leaders that reject the virgin birth, they're definitely little godders. Their God can't do anything. He's, he's limited by the imaginations of these theologians, of these pastors, teachers, and church members. I won't even call them Christian. Because really and truly, I don't believe that you can be a Christian and not believe in the virgin birth. I believe that it's very paramount to what we believe. Because that's true, they end up being just like Ahaz. They, they don't really believe their God can do anything that they cannot imagine themselves. But they go through their religious motions. They pretend to be religious and pious when they're actually just telling God to take a hike. I'm taking care of this. I'll fix things myself. I'm glad you're there. Just don't interfere in my life. You might be saying, well, I understand all that. Big God, little God, so why should I really care? Why should the idea of Jesus being born of a virgin really and truly even, even matter in the grand scheme of things? Well, it should matter. It should matter to you and I simply because it matters to God. <laughs> it mattered enough to God that he put it both Old Testament and New. He speaks about it, proclaims it, makes it very clear. This is what God had prophesied. It's what God said. It's what God did. I don't have to understand it, by the way. I just have to realize that, yeah, it's important to God. Do you, do you realize that your pastor, who's been pastor here now for almost 25 years, there's a whole lot in this that I don't understand. I'll just make that confession to you. We won't record this tonight. We won't put it on air because I don't want to cause anybody any trouble. But there's a whole lot about this that I don't understand. And I just have to flat out take my faith. And I just say, wow, what an awesome God. Open our hearts. Change us from within by the open word. 
On behalf of Pastor David Landry and the production team here at The Open Word, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This has been a special edition of The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. To learn more about The Open Word, visit our website at theopenword.com. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to The Open Word podcast. Subscribing to The Open Word podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all of the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com, click on the podcast option on the homepage, or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, let us know the call letters of the station you heard The Open Word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. And again, we want to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.